electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures look awfully familiar this morning, solidly red as Q3 earnings from mega cap tech don't offer many assurances about the quarters to come. Meantime, COVID cases cross 88,000 for the first time in a single day. Dow's on pace for the worst month since March. Our roadmap begins with stocks set for another drop as Twitter, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon fall. But Google is a bright spot. Plus, we are closing out what's been a volatile week, and it is the last trading day of October. The S&P, by the way, on pace for what would be its worst weekly performance since June. And Starbucks signaling a return to growth, forecasting up to a 30% spike in comps globally next year amidst, of course, what they hope will be faster than expected return by customers. CEO Kevin Johnson will join us in a first on CNBC interview during this hour. Carl. All right, we look forward to that. Jim, you've been pretty explicit in uh, your tweets this morning. I know it's hard to buy. You have to buy in front of Election Day. Why? Well, I just think that what's happened is, is that everyone's trying to square off negative, uh, betting that whoever wins or if there isn't, maybe there's no winner at all. Uh, it's going to make it so we have to go down. We are oversold. Uh, there are opportunities. Uh, the month was a terrible one. Uh, I don't think that you can make a lot of money selling here because I don't think you'll be able to buy them back quickly. Remember what happened in 2016. There's a snapback no matter what, because we have the uncertainty that is gone. Yes, it's true. There could be a contested election, no doubt. But you have to be start preparing yourself for an actual decision that comes up. And if it's a decision other than health care, which will be a disaster if a Democrat wins and you have to get out of those today, I see opportunity. And I see opportunity with what happened last night. I cannot believe the negativity with which these companies were greeted. I mean, I was on the phone with Tim Cook last night, uh, and I've got to tell you, the idea that Apple somehow had a bad quarter, I mean, I have to, it's laughable. You didn't have 5G in China. That's all they want. So I don't know. I mean, I can give you a bull case for everything. I'm going to not do that. I'm just going to say that if all these stocks come down viciously, pick up one, choose one. Uh, maybe not choose Twitter because Twitter did not deliver. I love Ned. He's Ned Siegel. But last night was a great night, Carl, not a bad night. But we've decided to indict the evening because everyone seems to have had it with stocks. David, having had it with stocks is not something you do in the stock business. No, but you do need an incremental buyer for companies that are so widely and deeply owned by everybody or over on, and, as or, you would or, say. and there you know you've got guys we call hiding in them right i mean obviously you think about just apple's impact overall and its percent of the what it contributes to the nasdaq given its enormous size but the question jim is who's incrementally going to be the buyer here of these names i guess despite what to your point and i got the same chorus this morning from the people i spoke to which is facebook was very strong what was wrong with Amazon? I mean, the revenue guide was tremendous. But we coming in, we knew Amazon was going to have a monstrous quarter. Uh, cloud was also pretty strong. 
Again, it's an expectations game, perhaps with Alphabet, which, of course, has been the laggard wow. when it comes to performance. It is outperforming in part as a result of that and having what I guess you would say is also has, was a, a strong quarter. Uh, by the way, the first hearing, I think, begins in the antitrust case against the company from the U.S. government. Not helpful. No. Brian Osofsky, uh, who's the this, this CFO of Amazon, okay, he doesn't get talked about a lot, low-key guy. Uh, talking about the fact that they had to spend more money on health care and COVID yep. than people think. Is that really a reason to sell? Do we sell? Because, Carl, do we decide, you know what? Got to dump that stock. They are spending so much money on health care. Seven and a half billion uh, in incremental COVID-related costs the first three quarters and another four well, billion. Yeah, downgrade, downgrade that just one. To, just to fill in the numbers for people, yeah. It, well, it was right. unbelievable. People just think, you know what, if they, if they hadn't spent on COVID, it would have been a really good quarter. No. I mean, if they hadn't spent on COVID, we would hold them in front of the Senate and Elizabeth Warren would have a few things to say. You know, you know Carl, I found last night very upsetting because these are companies. All they ever do is get hauled in front of Congress. I mean, how many jobs does Facebook have to create? How many jobs does uh, does Amazon have to create before someone says, you know what? Maybe these guys aren't the real bad guys. Maybe Senator Cruz, yeah. when he took the Senator Cruz, he was taking Twitter apart. Uh, you know what he left out? Bad quarter. <laughs> Uh, Jim, your, your point about employment is exactly right. Uh, Amazon now with 1.1 million employees. That's up 50 percent year on year. But but, Jim, I mean, we can't ignore iPhone missed by a billion dollars. Facebook says, uh, you know, U.S. Canada DAUs flat to down in Q4. Those are things that uh, on other periods we've not necessarily heard. How did Apple not blow the quarter? That's the question. And they didn't because of services. I mean, remember, if you own a, five, a 5G phone, you have 5G network. And what does China have? They have 5G. So you're going up with a, a you, you got a 4G in China for a, ga- a gap. Who would buy a 4G when you can buy a 5G? So did Apple hit that market right? No. But I would say that Apple was incredible given the gap. That it was made that all these other products that everyone thinks are just the wearables, eh, services, eh, Mac, eh, you know what? They add up to being a pretty good company. And David, I got to tell you, the service stream suddenly makes it so that we don't really have to worry about the craziness of Apple having a down quarter. Right. Where are we on services, Jim, in terms of a percentage overall of revenues? Not high enough yet. Not okay? high enough. Not high enough we, yet. We do talk about it, of course. We've talked about it for years. And Apple has gotten that higher multiple as a result of the increasing percentage of its revenues that are recurring. I mean, that's happened. That multiple revision has happened, Jim. I know. It's at 34 times earnings. But what, Procter & Gamble? 34 times earnings. Oh, Procter & Gamble's oh, at 20 yeah, but do you remember when you used to sit here and talk about how Clorox had a much higher multiple than Apple? I mean, for years you would talk about the fact that it was a value stock. Well, that's it, not it, really the case anymore. Well, but it's, it's look, it's just, it did surpass Clorox. The Clorox multiple. Now, i got to tell you something, David. Bleach is not some high tech. You know, bleach is kind of a lower tech thing. But they, they had a lower tech um, multiple than Clorox for a long time. I think I want to make this point, OK? This company's reinvented itself. So it deserves a higher multiple. I begged him and I begged the head of city. I said, would you please put this on a consumer product goods analyst? But no, I mean, no one wants that. And it's a great tech company. It, but Carl... If you if the same people who covered McCormick, the spice company, and they covered Kellogg, <laughs> I mean, come on. 
Come on. Yeah, I knew I knew you, this would get your goat today, Jim. Goldman reiterates the sell on Apple. Uh, we see fundamentals more likely to disappoint as uh, iPhone fails to meet optimistic consensus. That's Rod Hall. Hasn't changed. Yeah, well, he's wrong, but that's okay. I looked at the First Amendment again. I love the First Amendment. Dave, you know what First Amendment says? You're, li- you're allowed to be wrong for as long as you want. Not except for if you're Michael Pachter on, tes- on uh, Tesla. Now, uh, Carl, I mean, he no, comes Netflix. out. Wasn't it Netflix? Oh, Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, Netflix, not Tesla. Yeah, Netflix. Yeah, he, he got that one wrong. Um, Carl, look, uh, he's going to be right for what? 48 hours, Carl? I mean, God love him. He'll be right till Monday, maybe Tuesday if the wrong no. guy wins. Whoever the wrong guy is, I don't even know anymore. What does that mean? Well, I mean, you uh, well, stock-wise, you don't even know anymore. Oh, I see. Uh, I see. Uh, when, so this Politico piece last night arguing that uh, Elizabeth Warren's going to lobby for Treasury if Biden wins, I mean, how should banks react to that? Well, doesn't mean they're going to get already, it. They've already reacted. They go down every day. Uh, Elizabeth Warren's not a big fan. I remember when I first met Elizabeth Warren, she uh, had uh, Jamie Dimon's, uh, court, you know, his yearly... A, 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 a pistol that he does. And, and she didn't regard it as being, uh, let's say, the Bible. There, but I have to tell you this. She is measured with the banks that we put up there versus Wells Fargo. Right. Wells Fargo is not a, is not a stagecoach. No. Um, that's an interesting story. I have no idea if she would be successful in uh, that lobbying campaign. Uh, we can talk more about this a week from now. If and well, we know she, who the winner is, she wanted to break to talk up about speculating well, on who may take certain uh, important jobs in, the, in a, an incoming administration, if that's the case. Well, she did want to break up um, Alphabet after last night. I'm talking about a stock. They break that darn thing up. I mean, geez. Hey, man, on YouTube alone, I mean, yeah. views for guided meditation videos are up 40 percent since mid-March. I've been taking those. They're fabulous. And really the made me relax. Face Mac tutorials, it, Carl, have been viewed over a billion times on YouTube. A billion times. Now we're finding it how much YouTube is. There's Thomas Curry, and he's running Google Cloud. It's starting to work. Elizabeth Warren personally could take that $1,600 stock to 2000 if she wants to break it up. <laughs> she is not at the Department of Justice. In fact, she is a senator in the minority right now. I don't know why we keep talking about her. Because it's, I don't know. It's, it's fun. It's a fun parlor fun. game. And you like, you like her eyes. I know. Admit um, all right. Yeah, I know. That's great that okay. you had to bring that up. Thank you. Yeah, that was, a, prick that was like a story that. I told you you never talk about, and there it is. <laughs> Wait, was that a never talk about? Yeah, I would put that in never you talk about. You know, it's a problem. I'm getting older. I'm starting to forget stuff. I know. And you, I, I find that happens frequently. Like, you say a lot of negative things about companies. You don't even know what companies they are. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> that is not Carl, true. Carl, last night was a night. Point, the- it was an existential crisis. You get home, okay, and you're dealing or talking to the CEOs of all these companies. And you recognize that these are the greatest people, the greatest minds, and they are just really fabulous for the country. And you're being a little abusion. I, I have a minuscule mind. I'm saying, yeah, but how, how about that line item? How about that line item? And how about the fact that you're spending so much more against COVID than you should? I mean, what is that? Yeah, why don't you skip on safety? Why don't you realize that safety takes a vacation now and then? I mean, what these guys are doing, how can they put these numbers out in an era where most people are scared, afraid of getting COVID, don't want to go to the office, and justifiably? This is in the era of COVID these guys are putting these numbers up. What would they do if we actually had a vaccine? Just think of that. Now, some people say, no, they see they do so well yeah. because they don't have a vaccine, like Amazon. 
I don't know. What do you think of Alphabet's uh, cost controls? Operating expenses were 13.8 billion. They were up what one percent? They're not hiring like man. No, they're not they're hiring not. like the army did during, during World War II anymore. Right. They were hiring, and um, well, Amazon's taking that over. Well, if you walked by Alphabet, you did get hired. I, I walked by. I was almost hired. I said, No, no, I'm not here for a job. I'm actually to interview Ruth Porat. They pay very well too. I might add. They play. Carl, People if don't you, understand if you go what to senior school, engineers that some of these companies make. Oh my. We're talking Wall Street numbers from back in the heady days of Wall Street. Better. The exploding offer, Carl, it starts at 300000 but if you, and, you know, tomorrow it's worth 250. Yeah, but the next day it's worth 200000 yeah. Senior engineers and, and, and notified well into the six figures. Maybe yeah, not, sometimes Notified seven. by text. If anybody who's ever uh, known anyone who's gone to work for Google, you usually get uh, the yes or no uh, via text on your phone. Uh, you guys mentioned, obviously, the strength in advertising revenue, the cost yeah. discipline. Pichai also talked about investing in the cloud last night. Take a quick listen to what he said. Given the progress we are making and the opportunity for Google Cloud in this growing global market, we continue to invest aggressively to build our go-to-market capabilities, execute against our product roadmap, and extend the global footprint of our infrastructure. With the segmentation, you will additionally see information about the scale of our investments. Jim, you talk about these companies being our giants, right? They're yes. our Edelmans and our Gronkowskis. What does it say that these quarters and these outlooks come on a week where they were uh, literally trounced in that uh, Senate Commerce hearing? I know, and Edelman's not going to play for three weeks, it looks like, and Gronk just got his first real good touchdown. That's how I feel about these companies. They are a little Edelman-like. He didn't even get one target last week. He killed me in fantasy. Um, but it does feel like fantasy down there. I mean, are we really? I mean, I, I, well, I've got to tell you, when Senator Cruz was was attacking uh, Twitter, Jack, uh, Jack, Jack uh, I, I mean, I felt like saying, to him, hey, listen, Senator, you know, this is a company that has a tremendous, great discourse. You really can find things out. It's at, and by the way, the president, well, I think he was upset. I don't know how many times did he tweet last night, Carl. He was like really in a. Tweet well, storm. Yesterday, his quote yesterday, Jim, um, was they're taking away your rights as if somehow um, your ability to tweet and post content is guaranteed by the Constitution. I don't know. I mean, uh, well, Zucker, you know what Zuckerberg said? What? He said, look, we need a little help. Tell us yeah. what, what you don't like. Yeah. I mean, it is a little like when uh, Potter Stewart, but great justice, said. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Pornography, I don't know. I know it when I see it. No. Uh, Give us some guidance. But, I mean, let's, Facebook is central to the, 
to the ongoing conversation that's occurring in this country, right? It's a central news source for so many people. It's the way so many people get information. And so they discussed it in their call, guys, as you know. They finally, I mean, finally, they banned QAnon and Holocaust denial content. When they finally, because, of course, there's been a lot of criticism about fact that he would not ban Holocaust denial right. content. That was the Borat. Time. Borat they were rejecting ads to discourage vaccines. They said, and to be clear, this is not a shift in our underlying philosophy or strong support of free expression. Instead, it's a reflection of the increased risk of violence and unrest mm-hmm. and an increased risk of harm associated with vaccine misinformation as we near an approved COVID vaccine. Um, even the strongest free expression advocates don't think you should be able to yell fire in a crowded theater because they recognize your actions or speech should not be able to put people at imminent risk of physical harm. And we have Mr. Zuckerberg discussing election integrity. Let's take a listen. Next week will certainly be a test for Facebook. Uh, Our systems have been tested in in many elections over the last few years. Uh, Election integrity is and will be an ongoing challenge, and I am proud of the work that we have done here. Uh, I also know that our work doesn't stop after November 3rd, uh, so we will keep anticipating new threats, evolving our approach, What does it say about our country, Jim, when you're talking about an increased risk of violence and unrest and an increased risk of harm associated with vaccine misinformation? Well, and that's why the fire in the crowded theater I thought was so pertinent. Uh, I mean, there's look, I thought Zuckerberg was very good. What was his real intent? I think it was to make Congress update the, the law to make sure it's working as intended. So it's not on their shoulders. It, it, it's interesting because Cruz was attacking uh, Jack Dorsey for being in charge. Mark Zuckerberg is saying, hey, guys, you're in charge. Tell us what to do. Two very different philosophies. And by the way, Zuckerberg was talking about jobs, 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 and how many they create, David. How many do they create versus the U.S. government? Facebook down, what is it, down? Oh, yeah. I mean, what do you have to do to please the market? Nothing, because it's not going to be pleased, unless you're going to break it up like alphabet. Jim, we'll uh, talk about all of those some more, obviously, and Starbucks. Kevin Johnson's going to join us. After we see a return to sales growth in 2021, he says, nice upside surprise on operating margin. Meantime, look at the Dow's worst performers so far this month, Intel and Amgen among the laggards there. Futures indicate that the Nasdaq will go negative for the month, which would make this the fourth consecutive presidential year in which stocks were lower in October. We're back in a minute. Let's get to a mad dash. We've got 10 minutes before we uh, wrap up this uh, very volatile trading week, Jim. ExxonMobil, it's a name lately we've been talking a bit about, and uh, we're going to talk more in this mad dash. David, 11 years ago, almost to the month, actually, Exxon bought a company called XTO Energy. They paid $41 billion. David, you always talk about one of the worst deals in history. I'm going to nominate that one because Exxon's talking about a $30 $30 billion impairment. That was a natural gas company. They bought it at the absolute top. I criticized them when it happened. You did. I heard from them. I heard from the, the XTO people, too. And you know what? I wish them well. And uh, David, I, I think it was an ill-advised deal. That's what I'm coming down Ill-advised, to say. I think you're being very kind at this point. History would show it was worse than ill-advised. Well, I mean, you know, this is that new Gandhi thing I'm trying out. Gandhi what, too. The next five minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, boy, give me seven um, minutes. I mean, what would they do with that money now? Or don't buy, they wish I don't know, they buy had back it, stock right? and boost the dividend? I mean, that's what they were doing habitually. Right. But what do you think about the oils here, David? 
And I'm not just, I, I'm exempting Occidental because I've beaten that dead horse. You, God, you've been so rough on them, but not without reason. Um, listen, oil equivalent production, 3.7 million barrels per day, up 1% from the second quarter of 2020. By the way, the loss came in less than had been anticipated no, by the analysts of follow ExxonMobil. Um, they are talking about a 15% reduction, uh, an expected decrease in cash operating expenses, about 15%. Cutting CapEx, right? They were going into next year at $23 billion. Uh, and now they're talking about a capital program of 16 to 19 billion for next year, Jim. What can I tell you? They're in preservation mode, and it's a structural change. They're beginning to realize we're not going back to where we were. Carl, if you look at the curve, oh, well, I'm trying to get Carl because he's yeah. We'll go to him in a second. Okay, yeah. all right, come no. back. You if you look at the curve out five years, it's right here. Oil's not going up. A natural gas could go up, David. I mean, that could happen. Jim, I wanted to leave you with this, though, because I, I did take a look at their release, page three or four. Um, following 12 months of technical evaluation, ExxonMobil and a company called Global Thermostat announced an expanded joint development agreement to advance and bring to scale breakthrough technology that removes carbon dioxide directly from the atmosphere. Now you're talking. You know what, David? What? I was once in a movie called Iron Man. And I was asked what would happen if Stark Industries got out of the munitions business. I said there wouldn't be much there. When Exxon decides to get out of the oil business, Stark Industries. Maybe they're going to be able to... I got a hat for that. Everyone else made millions. Carbon out of the atmosphere sounds like a pretty big deal. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, tell me about it. All right. How about cows? They're worse than oil companies, right? A lot of methane. Yeah. We should ban cows. (laughs) It's kind of like Chick-fil-A. It's just going to keep going, so I'll keep going here as well. Coming up shortly after the opening bell, we're going to have a live interview with Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson. Keep it here. Futures looking weak here, as we said before the break. Uh, Jim, I wonder how much of the weakness all week you think is related to October. looks like it's going to close without data from Pfizer. Stat News out with the piece last night saying maybe it's time to reset our expectations on timing of a vaccine. I mean, Dr. Gottlieb this morning, who is so great, I... I, I Everyone has to read him, at least follow him on Twitter. He's pushing back the time frame and really just saying, come on. I mean, it's going to be staged, too. Certain people are going to be able to get it before others. I'm not saying it's a nightmare, Carl, but it does remind me when uh, we went after polio and we finally solved polio, which, of course, took 15 years. And you had to go to school uh, to get the vaccine or the sugar cube. You had to line up. People lined up for hours to get it. And it did. Dr. Godley was indicating we're going to, have to do the same thing. I mean, we're going to have to have to be coherent enough in this country, which is, I think going to be very hard to have places where we're all going to line up to get it. And we're not ready for any of that, Carl. So when I listened to Dr. Gottlieb, I, I was a little depressed. But, you know, he calls it as he sees it, which is the president's view about uh, when we're going to get it versus his are radically uh, diametrically opposed. Yeah, uh, I think it was uh, when the president left Walter Reed uh, and uh, he wrote or he, he recorded that video saying that vaccines would be out, quote, momentarily yeah. is something that's hard to forget. There's the opening bell. Uh, final day of trading here. Uh, you guys were talking Exxon uh, before uh, the break. Jim, you know, it was interesting yesterday as we watched a Zoom video market cap surpass that of Exxon. And a lot of discussion overnight about uh, video chat being the new the new oil of yeah, sorts. And people should recognize that that Exxon was the largest company in America. Several in the last in the last twenty years, 
There were many years where it finished the largest, and it was almost always in the top five. Uh, it's kind of like if you look at it like the ratings. It was a, a college football team that every year won, and now it's kind of dropped off. And uh, it's, look, is Zoom worth what it's selling for? Obviously, you could sell a million shares of Zoom right now, but it is a Zoom economy. And when you listen to the conference calls, everyone's marveling how much they can do. They always mention Zoom by name. They don't mention WebEx, uh, Google. My, my daughter teaches by Google in Europe. They don't use Zoom. But I find that, uh, David, and you know this, that there's a tremendous amount of business being done yes. on Zoom, which means that travel may not come back like you think it will. I think, I think that's absolutely true. I ask uh, you know, anybody I talk to or many of the people I talk to in the business community sort of at the end of a conversation about what their travel plans would be. And there's no doubt people are not going to travel as much for business. No. Not that they aren't going to travel. Of course they will. But they're going to be more uh, specific in terms of their travel, uh, and, you know, and taking those trips they need to and not the ones that were sort of maybe they don't need to. And by the way, nobody expects them to. You don't need to go and hug the team in Tokyo as much anymore if you run that group for investment banking. You can continue to do Zoom. And the longer this goes on, the more comfortable everybody gets with the technology. Right. By the way, the more the technology continues to improve, which we all know it will, uh, this is not going away. And so the idea of a distributed workforce, and we talked yesterday with a number of our CEOs about it. Remember, we talked to, to uh, SAP about it yesterday. He right. said 50-50, McDermott, right. in terms of how it would be now. remote versus in the office. Yeah, I think people have to recognize, Carl, Sorry. that Excuse one of the me. things that's happening in the conference calls is driving me crazy. Remember they used to say, well, if it was dollar in constant currency, constant currency. There's an underline that they're not talking about, which is if you had to get on a plane, this deal would have cost much more. There is a gross margin expansion that they're not talking about on these companies, which is how much they're saving by having people at home. Yeah. It is huge. And a lot of what they're making I, I, is big. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you noticed uh, Apple spent more on R&D than SG&A for the first time this quarter. Well, and there you, go. you can kind of understand why. Yeah. They, and they're really stay at home. Uh, which is amazing. Part of the call, and when I spoke to Tim Cook, too, I, uh, before the call, is the idea of uh, they're all marveling that they could build things and do things and, and have such coherence. Uh, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, you got to salute these business people, as I said. All right, let's talk about one that actually uh, people were not that fond of, but the stock had run a great deal. Uh, and I thought it was actually not that bad, and the stock's starting to, to uh, percolate. Let's talk about Starbucks. Starbucks same-store sales, they declined for the quarter. You know, guess what? Of course. But forecasting a strong return to growth next year as it's two, in its two largest markets, U.S. and China, they think there's going to be a, real bound, a rebound from the pandemic, and it's going to be quicker than expected. we got to find out why, because that is not the rap that I'm getting from anyone else. So joining us now first on CBC, Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson. Kevin? It always is great to see you, but I think that you were too optimistic last night. I just don't think you can get that bounce back. Please explain how you think that we can return almost to normal in the era of COVID. Well, Jim, first of all, let me, let me share with you what gives me great confidence. If you, look, if you look at our U.S. business, we were at minus 65% same store comparable in April of this year. And five months later in September, we posted a minus 4%. In that minus 4% number in the U.S., it includes 3% of our stores that are still closed. 
which is about two points of comp. So now you're within striking distance of getting back to fully recovered. Take China. China had 90% of our stores closed in the month of February. China posted a positive comp in the month of September. So as we have reopened stores using these new store protocols that provide a safe, familiar, and convenient experience for customers, customers are coming back. And so we now have built resilience into the operating model. We know how to operate in the COVID environment. We're serving customers. They're coming back. And the recovery has accelerated faster than we anticipated. That's what gives me confidence. Now, but Kevin, one of the themes throughout the conference call, it's a good conference call, was the, the actual sea change in our country, the move to the suburbs up from the city. You guys dominate the city. And I was wondering whether it's going to be that lucrative to, to do what I was hoping you'd do, which is take advantage of the empty real estate and put the, uh, the fast through. Instead, it sounds like it's the drive through that's going to make it. And also, you're, what do you do with places like the beautiful roastery? I, I don't want to go to the roastery. I think it's unsafe. Well, first of all, the, uh, the shift that we see in consumer behavior has been certainly as people uh, work from home and school from home, you know, they'll visit the Starbucks that is closer to their home. So a lot of the shift in traffic has been out of central business districts into uh, suburb, you know, more suburban areas. Now, fortunately, over the last 10 years or so, we've been building a lot of new stores in suburbs. A lot of them have drive throughs Those are helping us significantly right now. But uh, we're not abandoning central business district. In fact, what we're doing is what we're calling trade area transformation. We're transforming that central business district by repositioning stores. And repositioning stores means the following. We're going to shift some percentage of those stores to this new Starbucks pickup format because we know that's what many customers in those central business districts want. Think of it as a walkthrough where a drive through is appropriate in a suburban market. And so with that repositioning, in some cases, we are, we are closing an existing uh, Starbucks store that's more of a cafe to then uh, sign a new lease and reposition and build one of those Starbucks pickup stores. That transformation is going to take place over the next 12 months. That is also giving me a lot of optimism about the future. Why? Because anytime you see a massive disruption, whether it's a technology disruption or a disruption in consumer behavior, I believe it is those businesses that identify the disruption and understand how that's going to shift in the future. Those that invest early and get there first are often the big winners. That's exactly what we're doing. We're accelerating trade area transformation over the next 12 to 18 months in those dense metropolitan areas, and that's going to serve the company well. Kevin, existentially, because you and I know each other for many, many years, the third place, the place I like to go, read the paper. People still read papers, read a book. There's one on the Upper Upper East Side. I got some time. I just get in, sit there for a while. How can... Starbucks still be our third place when there's some people who don't wear masks who seem to be bent on infecting me with an illness that I don't think would be very good to have. Well, it's a great question, Jim. What what we've optimized for right now, today, in the world of COVID, are customer experiences that are safe, familiar, and convenient. Now, by being safe, all the store protocols we have, we, we require masks in our stores, we have social distancing in our stores, uh, we know how to operate in a safe environment. Now, what a lot of people are craving right now, they've been you know, sheltering at home, working from home, schooling at home, is something familiar, safe, familiar, and convenient. That's what we've optimized for right now. But we're doing it in a way that really preserves that third-place experience because think about what's going to happen post-vaccine, post-therapeutics. You know, we're, we're all kind of suffering from this, this uh, shelter-at-home fatigue. 
You know, we want to get out. Human beings want to get out and they want to socialize. They want to be part of a community. They want to sit there and, and enjoy their coffee with, with others in their community or with their colleagues or their friends. Or they want to sit and read the newspaper in our stores. What we found today, we've now opened over 60% of our stores in the United States for limited seating. And the minute we open for limited seating, customers come back. And they're in the store, limited seating. But here's my prediction. Once we get post-vaccine and post-therapeutics and we're able to then reopen that third place, there's going to be more demand than there has ever been because people are craving that third place experience. We are craving human interaction. We're craving the opportunity to be a part of a community and to socialize with others. And so we're going to serve safe, familiar, convenient right now, but we are setting up for that period post-vaccine, post-therapeutics, where people come back and they enjoy that third place experience that they've known for decades. Kevin, we all look forward to that day. Um, between now and then, I wonder if you can explain to viewers what's going on with average ticket. Is this about more food orders, more multiple beverages, uh, plant-based, alternate dairy? I mean, should we be thinking of Starbucks as maybe not such a coffee story as much as we used to? Well, first of all, it's, it's primarily driven by group orders. And, uh, you know, we're selling more beverages. It's multiple beverages to start with. We're a beverage-first comp uh, company. The fact that we handcraft those beverages and personalize them for our customers you know, we're staying focused on that. And what's happening is in, in, in this world with looking for safe, familiar, convenient experiences, someone's doing a Starbucks run for their family, for their colleagues, and they're buying multiple beverages and food attaches at an all-time high. And so uh, that's driving up average ticket. And you see that's also uh, reducing the number of transactions because it's just simply group orders. And that's the phenomenon that we see right now. Kevin, I want to talk about China, uh, which continues to be such an important market for you. It's David, by the way. Uh, what'd you open there? 260 stores in the fourth quarter. I think you're still up 14 percent, 581 stores over the last 12 months, despite what was, of course, a delay there or not being able to open any for a few months. What are you seeing in China on the ground? You were down 3 percent in revenues. Is it going to get a lot better from here? Well, you know, I'm so proud of how our team in China has responded. You know, you look at uh, what they went through last uh, late January and into February with 90% of our stores closed. And uh, since then, they went from 90% closed to, in the month of September, positive comps. Not only did they go through uh, that whole era where we had to slow down new store development, but over the last quarter, that new store de development reaccelerated, as you pointed out, with uh, 260 or so uh, net new stores built. That takes us over 4,700 stores in China. You know, we remain committed to, to continuing to build that 600 net new stores a year as we look forward. Uh, and we're very bullish on, on our business in China. You know, China, we now have, for the most part, it's full seating in our stores. We have the safety protocols. People wear masks. Uh, you know, we get the, the daily uh, information on the number of, of COVID cases. There's very few in China. When they have them, they, they take very quick action to test and trace and, and, and deal with it. So fundamentally, our business is getting back to, you know, back to a normal state in China. And, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with the, with the great uh, team that we have on the ground and the way they responded to this entire pandemic. Kevin, you know, I think... I You've done remarkable work in China, and China's going to be, I think, one day bigger than the United States. But we have a, a critical election next week. Uh, the president has, has gone from being, uh, I would say, constructive to being destructive when it comes to China. 
uh, it's you're trying. They're trying to keep it as a cold war, not something worse or something best. If you're with some people in that in that administration, don't you need Biden to win to to go like you want to? Well, look, Jim. We, you know, we've been in China for over 20 years. Where we operate in over 80 markets around the world, we deal with geopolitical situations all the time. And uh, you know, the the uh, geopolitical tension that we've we've kind of seen between the U.S. and China over the last uh, few years has not impacted our business. In fact. You know, we stay focused on what we do well, which is we build a beautiful store. We have great partners who proudly wear the green apron. They create a wonderful experience for our customers in China. Uh, you know, and, and, and that formula works for us. We're very bullish on China, and I'm, I'm proud of our team. In fact, uh, you know, we're going to continue to invest and build new stores. Yeah. Great innovation. They just came out with a new uh, uh, tea platform that we're selling in China in our stores. And, uh, you know, we're, we're building a, a coffee roasting plant, a coffee innovation park in China that's going to be part of our global supply chain. Sorry, so we're let bullish. Me, yeah, I just want to stop you there because I want to ask a final question on China. But more for all our viewers out there who hear about Alibaba, who hear about the Ant Financial IPO, you're very connected into the digital economy there. I mean, tell our viewers about where they are in terms of payment, in terms of how they operate things. When we hear about an Ant Financial and an Alipay that goes along with it, or Alibaba as well, which owns 33% of it, what do you think about those companies? Hmm. Well, first of all, you know, in China, the, the Chinese consumer is the most digitally oriented consumer in the world. You know, if we just look at the percent of mobile payments in China, it's huge. And, you know, driven a lot by WeChat Pay and Alipay. Uh, the fact that we established this uh, China digital partnership with Alibaba years ago, uh, and even just this last quarter where we're with WeChat and, uh, you know, a uh, partnership with Tencent, we've dramatically expanded even the reach of our Starbucks rewards program. I think we had a 34% increase in the number of active rewards customers in China. And much of that is because of the, the relationship with, uh, with Alibaba and Tencent and the fact that Chinese consumers just embrace digital far at a far faster, far mm -hmm. deeper rate than any other yeah. uh, culture in the world. Yeah. Look, Kevin, look, stocks unchanged, down 90 cents, obviously doing well. Uh, you've done uh, remarkable since the bottom at 50. I want to thank you so much for coming on Squawk on the Street. Kevin Johnson, who is the CEO and president of Starbucks. Call back to you. Thanks, guys. All right, uh, Jim. Uh, let's get to Rick Santelli this morning with Chicago. Hey, Rick. Good morning, Carl. We're a few seconds away, but we are expecting to read less than the 62.4. That was last month's look, and that was close to a two-year high, 61.1. So sequentially, it is less than 62.4, but it is much better than the sub-60 number we were looking for. And once again, we continue to see some of the data points outperform. We see Treasury yields firm. And there's a lot of question marks as to how the economy is coming back. But it's hard to argue with some of these solid data points. Carl Jim David, back to you. <laughs> All right, thanks very much. When we come back, uh, electric vehicle maker Fisker debuting at the big board today. And we're going to talk with the CEO in a moment. Viewers of Mad Money know this is probably one of the most exciting stories out there. Next Tesla, perhaps, is what they talk about. Yes, it's Fisker. And it's making its debut on the New York Stock Exchange with the ticker symbol FSR, the electric vehicle maker, okay? It was a reverse merger with the SPAC, Spartan Energy Acquisition Corp. That's how these companies come public. Remember, they don't use traditional public methods. Joining us now is 
a man who, at least in my Twitter file, is second only to Elon Musk is someone that people talk about. It's, his name is Henrik Fisker, and I want to introduce him to everybody. And Henrik, tell us why we should even care about a company that has no real vehicle that comes into 2022, makes no money whatsoever, and frankly, a lot of people say is air. Hey, uh, good morning. Uh, good to see you again. You know, the reason uh, I think this is uh, so exciting is because, you know, the EV market is developing. Uh, there's only less than 2 million EVs sold globally, but the total market is 80 million. Now, we are seeing a slow uptake right now, but in 2022-23 is when it's going to explode, when you're really going to see the EV market coming together and, and accelerate. And because of that, we are obviously out now starting uh, developing a vehicle. It takes two, three years to develop a vehicle. So it's really a matter of whether somebody wants to come in along for the ride from the beginning with us. And I think a lot of, of people do. And we are obviously being very transparent about what we are doing. We have milestones. We have our first milestones already on the 15th of November. Uh, we have already built uh, prototypes of the vehicle and we'll show our final vehicle already next year in May at the Los Angeles Auto Show. So I think it's a very exciting time, and we are kind of the fifth company, car company in America that's public, uh, you know, after Tesla. So there's really only two electric car companies here in the U.S. that are public, which is, I think, pretty exciting. All right, so what do you really get if you buy Fisker? Do we get a great designer who is uh, building beautiful cars that are then outsourced to, to uh, Magna? Do we get a, a concept company that is basically uh, going to make us love something that may or may not come in 2022? W- what do we get with Fisker, or do we just get you? Well, no, of course not. We have hired a, an amazing team. I think you should look at us a little bit more like Apple and Foxconn. You know, Apple don't make their own phones, but they have a great operating system. Uh, they got a great phone and software design, and and that's what we are focusing on. We are really focusing on creating the future of a car company. We are a digital car company, meaning we do everything via our app or via our website. So it's a whole new consumer experience. We're asset light because I don't need to prove uh, that I can make a car better than Toyota. That's why we are together with Magna, which is the third uh, world's third world's largest supplier. And, you know, they know how to build cars. They build, uh, you know, Mercedes, BMW, Toyotas, and they will build as a high-quality car. You know how difficult it is. You have seen it, how difficult it is to get a car into production. And why should we go through all this pain if we can get in a car into production, end of 22, high-quality, ramp up to 50,000 vehicles the first year and be cash flow positive? That's a totally different business model than anybody else have out there. Mr. Fisker, I can understand why you'd want to compare yourself to Tesla, but others out there may see some comparisons to Nikola, which, of course, is uh, uh, more focused on trucks and hydrogen stations, but did come public through a SPAC, has a charismatic or had a charismatic leader. He's no longer leading the company. Um, You know, what do you say to those who say, as Jim indicated, you're nothing more than a plan at this point, and you've been around for a while. It's not as though Fisker Automotive you were founded in, what, 2007 originally, I guess? Uh, you know, you had the hybrid Fisker Karma, which didn't work at that point. What do you say to those who, well, just wonder, basically, whether you are going to be another Nikola? Well, first of all, Nikola, I think, is making trucks, as you said. And secondly, we have already built drivable prototypes that we have shown. We have uh, done an amazing deal with Magna, which now uh, will take a 6% stake in Fisker. Uh, you know, and they produce, they've produced already millions of vehicles. So I think we have a completely different business model here. 
Uh, we are concentrating on software, on design, on the customer experience. And that's really what the difference here is. Now, obviously, it takes two to three years to make a car. And this is just reality. And, and you can't make it any quicker than that because you've got to go through all kind of certification, engineering, long lead tooling. And, and the interesting thing with us is that we have gone out and raised a billion dollars, which is more than enough to get the Fisker Ocean to production. So we are not like the other startup companies that need to go out and do multiple rounds before they can get a vehicle into production. So far, we have hit all our milestones. Yes, uh, I launched the Fisker Comma back in 2011, about one and a half year before the Model S came out from Tesla. So those were the early days with you know battery systems that had issues, et cetera. Today, we are looking at a new type of world where you've got giant battery companies with proven battery technology that, by the way, everybody's using, including Tesla. You know, they're using Panasonic. We are using from some of the other ones, and all the cells are pretty similar. So I think the fight in the future is going to be about affordability, creating a great product and a great customer experience. And that's really the key here, a different customer experience. We have a flexible lease where you can give back the car anytime. So I think we're, we're going to set some whole new trend here with our company. Carl? Henrik, does it mean that, um, that oil and standard combustion uh, faces true liability, or will there be some era in which there's true overlap uh, where this, this movement to electric and hydrogen and everything else is more gradual than we think? Look, I think hydrogen for passenger cars is not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, it'll be between electric and gasoline. I think the gasoline cars will start declining in terms of sales after 2025. We see an amazing amount of regulation coming in Europe and probably China as well. Uh, and that will have a big influence on the U.S. because in the end of the day, the automotive industry is global. You cannot survive if you only make cars for your own country. It doesn't work. So if America wants to lead in this, and I think we will be leading here in the U.S. with the best electric cars, then we've got to get in now and take a huge market share of this upcoming market. I believe that by 2030, which is about you know nine, 10 years from now, you will at that point have much more than 50% of all vehicles being sold electric. Uh, and, and legislation will move a lot of that forward in other countries and in the U.S., you know, we are completely free market, but we still see the surge of electric vehicles here. And once people drive electric vehicles, they actually realize it's a much better car to drive. You, you know, you, you don't have, you have instant acceleration. It's quiet. You can make a phone call. You know, you plug it in at home. You don't have to go to a gas station. It's cheaper to operate. You don't have to take it to schedule maintenance. So it's just a matter of awareness, and then people's okay. going to start using electric cars. Henrik, you know, I was a, a uh, skeptic, and then Bill McDermott, uh, good friend, uh, CEO of, of uh, ServiceNow, joined your board, and he seemed to be attracted, actually, to your great design accomplishments in a very short time. Can you just tell people what you did design uh, besides the uh, Karma? Yeah, so I designed the BMW Z8 sports car, I designed the Aston Martin V8 Vantage, the Aston Martin DB9. I worked way early days at Ford at, at very uh, different, uh, you know, prototypes and show cars and, and vehicles and, of course, some other vehicles at BMW. You know, Bill is an amazing guy. And the re what we talked about was really how the entire industry have to change and become much more customer focused. You know, the automotive industry haven't changed in 100 years. And it's the only industry that truly have not changed 
and did this digital transformation that we see in every other industry. It still takes three hours to buy a car. You still have to sign, you know, a hundred documents. Uh, you still have to go and wheel deal and not being sure you got the right price. It, it's an old fashioned way of doing things. And I think Bill is at the forefront of what he's doing. He understands the digital transformation. And I'm really excited to have him on the board. Excellent. Okay. Henry Fister, your stock is trading and it's trading higher. It's good to see you, sir. Uh, Carl, I've got Brunswick. I have Sharif Suki on tonight. Who thinks natural gas is going to new heights? And I think that uh, I got to tell you this, a rolling troll up. I, I, I keep getting skeptical about 5.9. It keeps going higher. Contact center. I want everyone to have a good weekend. Rest up. Monday. Huge. Yeah, it's right, Jim. All right, we'll, have, we'll see you tonight. Have a great weekend. Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.